0: We've been in Revelation for several weeks now. I don't know how many lessons we're into this, but uh, like I told you at the start, we're not going to rush through it. We're not going to get in a big hurry. We'll just take it as it comes. Uh, I, as I was preparing and, and looking into studying for this, I, I've seen some, some things and people and different things I saw where people could teach through. They do two or three churches in a night. Now, I'm, I'm studying and going, there ain't no way. Now, if I'm going to really cover what's here, so we've kind of looked at a, a, a church at a time, and uh, I don't know. We may get through. We may get through this tonight. We'll see uh, if I'll shut up and get to teaching. Then we might, but uh, we'll see. All right. So we're, we're at Pergamos, and or the, the I think the modern uh, way this is written is Pergamum. Is the town now, but the scriptures, we, we have Pergamos, at least in, in, in the, the, the scripture, uh, the New King James, is the, it's Pergamos, the church there at Pergamos. And so if you're given a title to this, and I, I, you'll see, I think maybe that's on your notes there at the top. I don't know if I took that off or not, but some would title this the faltering church. Others would have titled it the spiritually lax church. Uh, the compromising church. One, one heading I saw was the seat of Satan, and that obviously we know that from the scriptures is right there in, in uh, Pergamos. Pergamus. Uh, so Pergamus was a prosperous city whose main distinction was its many pagan temples. That was its main distinction as a as a city. It had all kind of temples. So it was a temple to Zeus, who's the chief Greek god. There was a temple to Roma. Uh, the the goddess of Rome. Um, there was a, one to the, the god of healing, and they had a, a serpent. The serpent was the symbol of that. And it's the same serpent that is um, is the symbol of medicine today. And so it was a it was a, a, a there was a medical school there. There was a library uh, there. There was I mean it was an amazing place. There was temples to uh, Dionysus and Athena. So there were there was just temples all over the place. But probably the most significant to Christians was the temple dedicated to Augustus Caesar in twenty nine BC so Pergamus was the center of the uh, the emperor cult, and we 've talked about that already, that worship of Caesar of the, the emperor of Rome, and there was, there was worship of him as a god, as a deity, so they set up a, a temple there with him there, and it, 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 so it, was, it's, it, it is the seat it 's the very center of the emperor cult. Um, Worship there and there seems to be a progression in the middle in these middle three letters And we, we've, we've already looked at two we come into the third today. We looked at Ephesus We looked at Smyrna and if you watch these and you're going to see as we continue to go through it they, they, they Ephesus there, there's no there's no chastisement of Ephesus And then you come to Smyrna and we saw there's some problems with Smyrna Um, I'm sorry, there was some problems with Ephesus, but what we see is a progression, and we see the the kind of bookend, and what you have is a mirroring of the two, first and the last, and then the next to the first, and the next to the last, and then you come to these three in the middle right here, and and what we see is a progression of these three. Um, Pergamos, this letter addresses a church that holds a false teaching. So there's a false teaching going on here in Pergamos, but they're not explicitly rebuked for false teaching and sexual immorality. They are, they're being rebuked because it's being tolerated. It has been allowed into the church. There's some things that they've embraced, but that they're not all it. The church as a whole hasn't. So there's a slide there. The second one that we'll get to either next week or the week after, after is Thyatira, Thyatira, and it rebukes the church, the letter rebukes the church for tolerating Jezebel. Who teaches the Lord's servants to commit sexual immorality to eat food offered to idols. Now we're going to see here in a little bit that's that's the warning that's given here to Pergamos because that's some of the things that were going on in the teachings uh, what was becoming a part of what they were allowing this compromising the danger of where they are with compromising and the third is to written to Sardis and that's a church that was just dead okay so we see a progression there which gives us warning it gives us caution um, you know, the warning being compromising even a little. We, we, we don't need to compromise. We don't want to compromise. You can't let a, even a little come in. You know, when we compromise anything, the, the first, and I, could, I could take hands and you could all go, you know what, I know what you're talking about. We've compromised before. We've come to a place where we, we compromise something where you knew you shouldn't do that or you knew that was wrong and yet you, you did it. The first time, there's a resistance the second time, there's less resistance. And there's an easy, easy moving progression because every time you, you do something that way, when you've compromised, it becomes easier the next time. Amen? Y'all, y'all, y'all agree with that? I mean, that's what we see. And so it's such a danger. And, and, and as we look at this, one of the things we want to look at from the front and, and go into this as we look at this church at Pergamos is the fact that there was compromise going on in that church. And we see where that leads to. Okay? And so we've got to protect that within within our body right here. There has to be a protection of, of the truths of Scripture. And we're not going to compromise to things that are brought in from the world and the ways of the world. And we have to deal with those things. And, and, and man, man, we're in a day where church discipline has become... We were talking about this last night in a meeting with the elders and some of our deacon candidates. Talking about how church discipline has... Uh, for the most part, doesn't exist today. And it's very prevalent in Scripture, and it's a very needful thing. And, and, and I've had people get mad at church leadership when we exercise church discipline. Yeah, and you shake your head. But we get people get mad because you deal with someone about their sin, and, and it's said, no, we should love them. Okay, I do love them, and that's why you exercise church discipline. When you have to confront sin that will not be repented of, you have to do what Scripture says. Because if you don't, now we're compromising. Now we're going in that way. And we want to avoid that. So we want to learn tonight, as we look at Pergamos, this, this, what were some of these things that they were compromising in. And then how can, we, you know, how can we avoid that? How can we keep from that happening here? We want to guard against that. Um, you want to know how a church dies? It gives us a hint here. It starts with false teaching. It okay? starts with false teaching, which leads to idolatry and immorality, which kills a church. And that's what we're seeing here is this progression. So just as these three churches that I've talked about, these next three that we're going to be looking at, seem to be at different points on the spectrum. You know, There are churches today that are different, at different points on the spectrum. We have churches that are, are, are dead. They've gone... They've gone that way. They've compromised. They're absolutely dead churches. There is nothing of God going on there. But you have them from that to the churches that have just begun is trying to creep in. And are they going to deal with it or are they going to compromise to it? Are they going to capitulate to that sin? You know, that's the word. I've probably spoken that word more in the last three weeks than I've ever in my whole life. The word capitulate. And we're seeing it in our churches around us. We're seeing these churches that I never would have dreamed that are beginning to embrace sexual immorality, homosexuality, the transgenderism. I'm not talking about someone comes in and they're in that sin. And, and, and listen, I've said it many times. I'll say it again. If, if someone comes in and they're willing to come and sit and hear the gospel message, hear the truth of the scriptures, we want them here. Now, if they're inappropriate, we're going to deal with it. In the same way, listen, married couples, let me say this. Don't be inappropriate in the service. Don't be overly affectionate in the service, okay? So, I mean, we would deal with a married couple because there's a place for that. So be be mindful of that, and there are people watching. And so we would address that in the same way. The, The point comes in when a church not only says we have those people that are in attendance... But, hey, we're going to glory because we've got them. They're, they're, they, you know what? They're given. We have homosexuals and transsexuals and uh, transvestites. And we have, we have people that are cohabitating. Y'all realize that's sin, right? You know, cohabitating is still sin. It, it still is sin. Sexual immorality is still sin. Any, any sex outside of God's design for marriage. One man, one woman in the, in the bond of marriage. Anything outside of that is sin. The Bible it calls it a word we don't talk about much anymore. We don't use this word, fornication. And that covers all of it. It's fornication. It's, it's sin. And we have embraced that, folks, in the church. There's none of this in my notes. I've been studying all day. I, I mean, it's, it's been up in me, okay? I, 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 you'll hear later. We got a lot going on, so I'm going to be careful not to, I don't want to get in the flesh at all tonight. But we, we have to be careful, folks, because we're real quick. Now, I'm not going to diminish those homosexuality, or any of that at all. I'm not going to diminish that at all. But the problem is there are people that would sit right here who would point their finger at that and would look the other way in other sexual sins. My son is sleeping with some girl. They're not married, but, you know, I look away from that. Or I know about people... Listen, it's, if it's outside the bonds of marriage, it is sexual sin. It's sin. It's still sin. Amen? Amen. And I say this with a smile and I say it because I love you. If you are engaged in that in any way, you need to break that. You need to break that. You need to break away. You need to repent of that sin. You need to turn from that sin and come back to Christ and get that right. So if, if we have a church, if we have, you know, if we've got a church member that we know is engaged in that, we know that's going on and it has to be addressed. It has to be addressed. And if, if, we go to them and they won't fix that, correct that, repent, get right with God. Then we'll we'll go with two. Then we if we have to go through, then we bring it to the church. And and I, I guess I'm saying this from this because the, we've been talking about as elders, um, we're gonna we're gonna do a better job as a church of exercising church discipline. Because I, if I get if I get upset when I find out about a church that let me go back to that and I've got off base. So they don't just say, listen, we have, we have all these people. We have folks that embrace all these areas of sin, and, and they come here and they attend. That would be one thing to say, man, we have sinners come into our services. Praise God. I want sinners to come to our service. I want lost people in our service. I want them to come. It, it does a better job if you go out and witness to them one-on-one, a lot more effective. But if not, get them here. Amen? Get them under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. That's one thing. But when you say, not only we have those folks coming, but you know what? They give and they serve in our ministries. They're members of our church. Folks, that's capitulating to sin. And I don't want to be any part of that. Because God isn't going to bless that. Oh me or amen? amen. I don't know. Okay. This is this is what's on my mind as I study Pergamus because they they've got some folks that are embracing bad things, and it's not all of them, and we'll see that. I'm, so I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So there's churches today that are all over the spectrum. There are dead churches, there are churches just beginning to struggle with this. And so as Jesus addresses the church here at Pergamum uh, at Pergamus, uh, the believers there seem to be flirting with evil. And that's, that's really what's happening. There are some in the church that are flirting with evil. They're, they're not openly embracing immorality as a whole and idolatry, but they're not closing the door to it either. They haven't just wholeheartedly as a church rejected that. Um, Jesus calls them to repent to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which is false teaching uh, before it is too late. And we'll go into that. I know Steve was asking a couple of weeks about, ago about the Nicolaitans. We're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. So let's look there now in chapter two, verses 12 through 17. Let's just, let's go ahead and read those verses. So and, and, the, and to the angel of the church at Pergamos write, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr. And now, we don't really know who that was, but obviously, here, here's what I, when I read that and I think about Antipas... We have his name. If we don't even know anything else about him, his name is forever recorded in the Word of God because he did what? He was a martyr for the Lord. He did not, he didn't give in to sin. He didn't compromise. He didn't deny Christ. In that time of persecution, he was martyred. He was killed for his faith. So his name, man, it's amazing. The little people, we may not know anything else, but Antipas, not a, not a little guy. That's a big guy. That's a guy that stood for the Lord and his name is forever recorded here. Jesus spoke his name and said, you talk to the church, you write this. So he was, Antipas was my, faith, my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have, the, you, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught uh, Balak, Balak to, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate." Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Um, now, verse twelve, you go back. He says it, it, these things. Says he who has the sharp, two-edged sword. Uh, and then, and then here he said, "I will come." The, the, the promise is, you repent, or else I'll come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And we know that's judgment. We know that's God's judgment. Don't picture the Lord with a, a weird tongue that has, you know, double-sided blades on it. That's not, that's not the picture here. That's not what he's saying. That is the, the sword of judgment. He's saying, I will come and I will judge you. Repent. Get this right. Uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone and on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So the letter to Pergamos was addressed to, to a church that was drifting into worldliness and carnality. And some were swimming against the flow, but the majority of them were being swept downstream. Now the application of this message for us today must be obvious, worldliness has swept into the church. And, and, and if we're gonna, and, and as I've said, I think when, when you, we look at these churches, it, it, it may not be that the church as a whole has fallen into that, But I promise you, you can find people within the church, with every one of these we're going to talk about, there are parts of the body of Christ gathering together in the church that have fallen into these. We can find that there. And so, and I think when you start talking about worldliness, uh, I'll point my finger and I got three more back at me. See what I'm doing? So the worldliness is, it's what I've said. Here's what I've said. Uh, So a um, you know a liberal you know what a liberal and a conservative is right you know no no not a it's a legalist and a and a liberal you know what a legalist is a legalist someone who's a legalist is someone who is more conservative than me that's that's how we define it somebody that if you got a higher standard than me you're a legalist. You have moral standards or, or standards of modesty that are a little higher than me. Boy, you're a legalist. You're putting, you're putting all these le- this legalism on us. But the liberal is anybody who's a little less conservative than me. That's kind of how we define that. But see, we do the same thing when it comes to worldliness. So we'll define uh, worldliness. You know, it goes back to the idol we create. So God, my God, Jesus, you know, my Jesus... He loves everything I love, and He hates everything I hate. That's that's my my idol, Jesus, that I've created. That's not the biblical Jesus, but that's the idol that we often create, is that He loves what we love, and He hates what we hate. And and the fact is, we excuse, it's kind of like going down the interstate, and you're going 15 over the speed limit, and some fool goes by you at 30 over the speed limit. That fool, where's the cops when we need them? But, but you get a ticket coming out of your driveway, and what do you do? You whine about it for a month and a half, right? The fact is, I was guilty. I don't have a leg to stand on. I did exactly what they said. I got a ticket coming out of my own neighborhood because I rolled through a stop. Whether I like it or not, the fact is, I did it. I don't have a leg to stand on. But I sure like to get mad at everything else. And man, they ought to be down there getting those speeders that are... The ones running through the light there at Saxon and Enterprise. They need to be stopping them. Why are they parked in the bushes getting me? But that's what we do. And we do this in the area of worldliness too. So if you watch a certain TV show, boy, you're worldly. Now my TV shows, they're, they're okay. I'm not really... I haven't really brought the worldliness in. You know, mine are different... I, I'm a little more mature, and, you know, I can, uh, the, the, well, the movies you go to, boy, those are, I can't believe you'd go to those movies. That's so worldly. Fact is, folks, most of us, most of us are living a little worldly. We're embracing, we're embracing things, we're embracing things like they're okay that they're not. And we we we're doing what the church here was doing. We're allowing worldliness into our life, and if you allow little into your life, then, then a little more is coming. And with this, when you start allowing something that I mean, you, you think about think about right now, we, we watch TV and different things. Think about if you backed up 20 years, you went through a time machine and you went back 20 years and you put the TV that's on right now, public TV, at seven o'clock at night. If that were on at midnight, you would have been appalled 20 years ago. But it's the frog in the pot. It's just slowly creeping in and we allow it. We've allowed it. The filth that we allow. we wouldn't, You come into my house and talk the way, the way people talk on TV, I'd ask you to leave. And do we turn the TV off? Do we turn the movie off? Had a friend years ago... Who said, it amazes me how much we're willing to compromise to be entertained. What will compromise in our lives? Folks, it's worldliness. And you know, God calls us to separation. He calls us to holiness and to righteousness. And so we've got to guard against worldliness creeping in. So our need is to be thoroughly convinced that we must never flirt with evil. You can't flirt with it. You can't play with it. Um... The, the, I would almost put it this way. If we would look at... This is how we ought to look at sin and worldliness. We ought to look at it like fentanyl. I mean, y'all have heard enough about fentanyl, right? So, you know, they say a, a grain the size of a grain of salt or a grain of sugar a fentanyl can kill you. Is that correct? So... Uh, you probably heard about those down in... Uh, the, the guys from West Point, I think, that were down in Miami or wherever they were down on spring break. And they... Whatever. I don't know what they took. I didn't read enough to know. I just know there were about five or six of them that OD'd. And, and several of them would have died if it were not not for, I guess, the NARCAM. One of them had OD'd and another one was trying to give him mouth-to-mouth to save his life. He OD'd. That's how potent that is. Folks, we ought to see sin... Because sin is more potent than that fentanyl ever could be. But we don't see sin that way. We're not not repulsed by sin the way we should be. It doesn't turn our stomachs. It doesn't make us turn our heads. It doesn't make us get up and walk out of the room. We've embraced worldliness. And we've got to come to a place where we understand the danger of sin in our lives. And not flirt with evil. We need to have... Uh, the false exterior of sin pulled back so that we, we can see it clearly as it is. So sin promises much, but delivers only hurt, pain, and brokenness. And that's the fact. Sin will promise you, boy, you know what? This will be great. You should do this. You'll enjoy it. It'll be awesome. You deserve this. You deserve to do this. You deserve to have this. You, you know, you deserve this. That's the promise. And then... When we give into it, it is more hurt, there's more pain, there's more brokenness than you ever would, would imagine. There's a quote I've probably used before, many of us have used before, but it says, Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you were willing to pay. That's what sin does. You know, it'll promise everything's just great, it'll be awesome, no one will ever know. Um... It doesn't hurt anybody else. Don't we hear that? Well, it doesn't affect you. It doesn't affect anybody else. See, that's a lie of the pit of hell. Because I'm pretty convinced that every sin in our life affects somebody else. It's not just a me thing. It, it affects others. So there are some who still hold to the, the truth of separation. But the majority in this church are content to seek the best of both this world and the one to come. And we're, you know, I'm reminded of a lot. And how Lot would compromise. Lot looked, he wanted what was best for him. He wanted to, he he looked out over the plains. He chose what was best for him. And he he moves in into an area where there's an area of compromise. And you move closer and closer and closer to those things. If you get your eyes on it, you're going to follow along. So we've got to get to that place where we see sin for what it is. Amen? So I'm like the guy that preached 20 minutes and... um, you ain't even started your notes that's all introduction so um a a We're going to look first at the faithful Christians in this church. We're going to look at the faithful Christians in this church. And that's uh, verses 12 and 13. So as usual, the Lord begins this letter, this letter here to Pergamos with a reference to himself and with a word of commendation. He says, And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things, says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works. And the expression, I know your works, it occurs in every letter. He says this. He says, I know your works. You know what that tells us? Ain't nothing getting by the Lord. Nothing good or bad getting by the Lord. He knows what's going on. He knows everything that's going on in our life. And, and you know, we may be sitting here and, uh, well, boy, you, you, don't, you don't know my secret sin. You don't know. You don't know. They'll never know. Nothing like. But you know who does know? The Lord knows. Well, you don't know. Man, you just don't know what I've done to help somebody this week. You just, you just, if you only knew, you'd just think so much better of me. And you know what? You know who does know? Because nobody else needs to know. But the Lord knows. There's nothing that gets by the Lord. So when he says, I know thy works, he knows. He says, I know your works. I, he, he knows their works, whether they're good or bad. So when he's talking about these churches, he knows what he's talking about. And it's, and it's truth. Number one, their loyalty to the person of the Lord. Their loyalty to the person of the Lord. Again, he says, I know your works and where you dwell where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name. So loyalty to the Lord uh, was being maintained in a very difficult and dangerous place. They're right there where Satan's throne is. That's where Satan's throne is. So Satan's seat is, uh, in reality, his throne. So this seat is here. His throne is here. This is what, what the Lord is talking about. Satan's Now, Satan's ambition from the very beginning, has been to exalt his throne above the stars. He wanted to exalt himself above God. He wanted worship. He wanted to receive that worship. He wanted it coming to him. And it is that ambition that brought about his fall. Now, Satan is a created being, and he doesn't possess any of the attributes of deity. I think a lot of times we've got this idea. um, Here's what we say. I could ask some and you might if I said what is the opposite or who or what is the opposite of God and the answer would be Satan and that's the wrong answer because Satan's not the opposite of God. He is not deity. He is a created being. So there's some things that as a created being he's not and so we need to have an understanding of who he is. We don't want to diminish who he is. I hear people make claims and Talk about they're going to get in Satan's face. And they're going to stomp on him. And I, uh, Careful what you ask for. Amen. Careful what you ask for. Um, Satan is more powerful than any one of us in this room. Okay? But, but now, he can't just come and do whatever he wants in my life either. So I know there's, as a child of God, there's protection there. But I'm not going to rail against Satan and be foolish in that. So he is not omniscient. He's not omniscient, so he's not all-knowing. He doesn't know everything. He's not omniscient. But he does have at his disposal an efficient organization of fallen angels and demons united in a highly functional system of espionage and obstruction. And you think about this when we think about Daniel. When Daniel began to pray in Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through basically read through 21 there, we see where... Um, his organization, when Daniel started praying, Satan's organization went to work and did everything they could to obstruct those prayers and to, 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 to uh, obstruct the answer to those prayers. And we know that there was a battle that went on for, for what was it, 21 days, That it was a delay there because he wrestled with the principalities and the powers that were there. So we understand this. Now, he's not omniscient. He's not, he's not all-knowing, but he has a network um, it's kind of like the network that's trying to get set up in the world today, uh, of knowing everything and everybody. Folks, did you know there's a there's a, they're working on technology now, and somebody listen, I, y'all gonna say here's the conspiracy again. Here's the tin full hat. Let me get my tin full hat out. But early on in this, when they started talking about masks, somebody said this is all designed so all this face recognition stuff can. Can be tested and learn how to just read your eyes and and identify you with with a mask. So if all there was was your eyes, they could still identify you. You know what I just saw? You've got it now. On, I think so, cell phones have it now. Yep. So now you can get an app or something on your phone, or it may be in the newest updates where you can set it up and and you can you know because you can do facial recognition to open your phone. Now they've got it to where it can, be, it can learn to identify you with your mask on. So, again, we don't wrestle, we don't battle with flesh and blood. Our battle's not with flesh and blood. It's with principalities and powers, the prince of the darkness, prince of this world. That's the network that is there. And it is, it is out there. The things that we see, folks, the things that we see that we know are wicked, those things, we know who's behind that. And there are folks that are absolute... Uh, what would be the word? useful idiots? That's the word. It is, and I hate to say it that way because there's there's lost people that are absolutely deceived, and they're a pawn in in what Satan is doing in in trying to conquer and destroy man. That's what, we we know what he wants to do. So Satan is not omniscient. He's not omnipotent either, which means. Um, he's not omnipotent, omni, omnipowerful. He's not all-powerful. So he's very powerful, and he exerts his power through a hierarchy uh, made up of, of thrones and dimensions and principalities and powers, the rulers of this world's darkness and wicked spirits in high places. You can read that in Ephesians 6, 12, Colossians 1, 16, and 2, 15. But we see that he, he, he he's not uh, all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. I think a lot of folks have in their mind that Satan is, you know, he's, he's like all-powerful, you only one that could literally stop him would be God. Well, God is over him. God is more powerful, but he is not all-powerful, and he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere all the time. Now, all of those are attributes of God. God is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he is everywhere all the time. There's nowhere he's not. So, as a created being, he can be in only one place at a time. And so, you know, I've heard, I've heard people, I, 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 as long as I've been going to church, I can remember hearing people come in. They come in on Wednesday night. Boy, Satan's been on my back all day. And the reality of it is, folks, Satan probably gave a sniff to any one of us in this room. He's, he's got a lot bigger fish that he's working on. He's working on a Putin. He's working on a Biden. He is working in these world leaders. He is, that's the area. But I'll tell you what, now, if you're going to say Satan in the sense of the, the system that he has set up, then absolutely Satan's on your back. And he's working in your life. And he's trying to obstruct what you would do for God. He's trying to, to, to distract you from the work of God. He's trying to discourage you. Whatever he can do. But that's his system. But he himself, he's not, all, all, he's not everywhere all the time. He's not, he couldn't be right here and over at Iwana, even. Okay, If he's over there, he ain't here. If he's in here, he ain't over there. So there, there's none of that. So we know that he appeared before the Lord in the book of Job. Uh, from his wanderings to and fro across the face of the earth. And 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He, that's what he's doing. He's roaming around. He's looking. Who who can I get? Who's got their guard down? Who's who's gotten away from the Lord? Who ain't having their prayer time? Who ain't studying the word? Who's 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 a little mad right now? Who's got some unforgiveness in their life? "Well, I'm going to jump on them. Whoever I can find and devour, that's what I'm going to do. That's his work. He is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2.2. 2. And as such, no doubt, he has a throne somewhere in the heavenlies. And he is, he is also the ruler of this world, John 12.31. And as such, he mains, maintains a throne somewhere on earth. Now in John's day at least, his throne was located at Pergamos. That's what the Lord tells us. So that, that was the that area over there is the center of the world. And all of the idol worship, you you got, you got the, the temple there to Caesar Augustus. So you've got, you've got this, this uh, emperor cult worship that's going on there. You've got all the other worship that's going on there of false gods. And, and the Lord tells them that this is where Satan's seat is. This is where his throne is. It's his capital right there. Now, we, we sometimes, we have to be careful how we judge people. Amen? Because, now, I'm not going to talk about it in the way of sin or something, but, but sometimes we, we go, oh, you know, I can't believe they would do that, we, we, whatever their situation might be. And, 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 you know, the fact is you don't know. I, I, I would say you even have to be careful this way. My house, my, my house didn't burn down, but I'm saying this in example. My house burned down, and so I know exactly what you're going through. Do you know that's not true? Now, I can empathize because my house burned down. I went through that. I lost a child. So I know exactly what you're going through. No, we don't. We don't. And we have to be very careful in that. Because everybody is unique. Amen? And, and the way that you hear something, the way you filter things. Uh, I, you know, the, here's one of the things I'm learning is, is with communication, is, is I can think I really communicated something well in a conversation, and the person didn't get it at all. They didn't. They didn't. In fact, Eric, Pastor Aaron and I had a conversation this afternoon. He was talking to someone that I actually talked to before his application came in. And the story from that guy was a lot different than the story from this side. Amazing how the conversation could be so different, perceived so different. Um, But we have to be careful because each one of us are are individuals and we don't know what other things in life they filtered. All that said to say this, we go, I know how I would act. I know what I would be. Here's the deal. The the, the people here, their seat, this church is located here in the seat, in the very capital of Satan's, it's where his throne is. Satan is there right in the midst of that. Man, there's a lot that's going on. And and what the Lord says about them, he said, man, you kept your faith. And he commends those. The faithful Christians at Pergamos were confessing the name of Jesus in the very capital city of Satan's power structure on earth. It was an an especially dangerous place in which to maintain a dynamic Christian testimony. And the Lord said, you hold fast to my name. That's, a, that's an incredible statement. Folks, we can take that right there. And if we could live our lives in a way that the Lord could say that about what we're living in today. Because more and more and more, we're living in a vile world. We're living in a sinful world. We're living this, I mean, and even in the, in the, in the church circles, the things that are going on, the things that are being overlooked and being allowed and being invited right into church. Folks, we are walking in the midst of wickedness. And if the Lord could say, you hold fast to my name. You did that. You're doing that. Keep it up. Man, that's that's where we want to be. Now, we hold fast to his name. Satan hates the name of Jesus. He he don't even want to hear it. And it, it just it just reminds him and it spells out his doom. He hears the name of Jesus. He, he ain't sticking around. You know, you start having a hard time and, and, and instead of going, oh, Satan's on my back, why don't you start praying? And why don't you start praying out loud? Why don't you start reading some scripture, quoting some scripture, or singing a, a song that, not not ear candy Christian music. Don't start singing your... your, your, your um, you know, your country stuff, or I know y'all a bunch of rappers in here. Stay away from the rap, all right? Um, that's Randy. That's Randy Dixon back there. He's the rap. No, kid. Start singing some God-honoring music. Something that exalts our Savior. Behold our God. You start naming the name of Jesus, and guess who's getting out of town? You want him off your back? Just draw up closer to to the Lord. If we draw close to him, he draws close to us. And when we draw close to him, Satan's going to get gone. The the, the believers at Pergamos were loyal to the Lord's person. Um, Okay, one more point, and then we're we're almost out of time already. Number two, the loyalty uh, uh, to the precepts of the Lord. We look at their loyalty to the precepts of the Lord, and that's what we find in verse 13. So the Lord says, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Satan dwells there. Satan is there. So the great precepts of the Christian faith were in good hands with the faithful there at Pergamos. Now understand the church, he's talking to the church. There's some problems in the church, but he is commending those within the church that have remained faithful. They are holding true to the doctrines of Scripture. They're holding to. So the great precepts of the Lord's virgin birth, His miraculous life, His sinful life, um, His sinless life, His atoning death, His bodily resurrection, His ascension into glory, His coming again. Those were all doctrines that were they were loyally holding on to as believers there in that church. So what we, we see there is that as we look at the Christians that were there, there was their loyalty to the person of the Lord. There was their loyalty to the precepts of the Lord. And we're going to stop right there and we'll pick up with, with a letter B next, uh, next Wednesday night. And uh, so now I want to we'll transition and I want to take our prayer request and praises.